0: Father, we thank you for your grace, and that your grace uh, sustains us and allows us to uh, to uh, to live and to grow and to receive. And uh, in the midst of all of the things that we we've even that we what we've just talked about, people in need and people have a, a, a great need. Even in our our own church family, with with sickness and folks who are in um, hospitals or just coming out, and um, Lord, we pray we pray your your healing balm upon your church, oh God, and the endurance that we need to to draw close to you and to um, be those ministers you 've called us to be God, I thank you for your word this morning, and I thank you for what you 've already done. Uh, I do pray for these families that we've mentioned, oh God, that you would minister to them in that unique and special grace-filled way that only you can. We, we give you all the praise and all the honor, oh, oh Lord, and um, uh, we, we ask you now, Lord, to, to walk with us, and we know that you will, so thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen, amen. amen. Um, so, golly, guys, um, um, it's bad, it's bad really bad, really, really bad. It's bad. And, and, and I, you know, when you say the word bad, I'm not saying it like, like Michael, you know, uh, there's a context to the word bad. And, and, and when I say bad, it's not good. It's bad. Um, I, I, I mentioned this to someone last week. I said, I can't wait to be done with judges because we are going to, cruise out of the darkness and, and and it's not all that but we're going to cruise out of judges into ruth because i need me some kinsman redeemer right now i i do um i'm looking forward to that and i and i and i, and I read a couple commentaries and 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 it's funny I, I, other people said the same thing like oh man this can't wait to be done with this book and i'm like whoa man i i it's just—it's been hard. It's been heavy. Um, in, in the midst of uh, finishing out, it's—it's like—it's been hard enough, and then the last three chapters are just weighty and 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 bad. And ugh. it's just all of that, and and, and then you you read the newspaper and I went to the local section the other day and I was just kind of looking through some of the articles and I'm thinking, you know what? Things haven't changed all that much. There's, there's, you know, in, in judges we'll see, we'll see wife abuse. We'll see homosexuality. We'll see gang rape. We'll see murder, injustice, uh, a brother killing a brother. We'll see kidnapping. It gets crazy. Um, uh, The other day, just uh, taking a daughter to work and uh, you know, we live in kind of a rural area. There's lots of larger lots and all that. And anything Jones going way past the 215, it just gets more and more rural until you run out of real estate, right? And, and so th- th- going down Bradley and we have to make a left on this street. And I'm looking down and I see, I see news ca- uh, camera, news vans and, and police have got the street blocked off in the yellow tape. And I'm like, uh, that's bad. I don't know what happened. That's bad. You know, you find out that there was a murder right there, and it's not around the corner from my house, but it's in our neighborhood. And and I, I just thought, oh my gosh! And apparently, someone shot someone, and they're they, four o'clock in the morning. They're having this argument about who knows what, and somebody just straight shoots somebody else. And and I'm like, God, man, things are bad. Oh, it's. Do you ever feel? watching the news and maybe like i heard one one friend of mine say yeah i don't watch the news anymore all of it i don't even watch any of it i'm like man i so want to do that but i i kind of want to know too that i can be praying you know and so but who knows things are so bad i probably don't even have to watch the news i can just pray and pretty much know what's going on i don't know but in 1783 An essayist named Samuel Johnson said, I have lived to see things all as bad as they can be. In 1783, you think you've seen bad? Man, you ain't seen nothing. We find in the book of Judges that if evil isn't dealt with, it grows, it multiplies. Last week we talked about the targets of 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 the enemy our adversary Satan and how he 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 when when we as a people aren't worshiping God in in fullness uh, and in spirit and in truth or even um in in this context Israel that was created to worship him I mean he was the God of Israel it was no mistaking that and and they they go into a land filled with idolatry, and as much as he warned them, they begin to pick up the idolatrous practices of the people. And so when we, when, when, when we as a people of God, are not worshiping God, and, and in this case on a national level, then idolatry fills the gap. And when idolatry fills the gap, there is always this attempt to... Um, rearrange or redefine what it, means, what it means to be human and to be made in the image of God, uh, male and female is, un, becomes uh, uh, under attack, and so does f- the family, which God says is a marriage covenant between a male and a female for life. That comes under attack, and it, and it leads to chaos all the time, all the time. Romans chapter 1 says this, and Paul the Apostle is in Corinth, and Corinth was a land filled with debauchery. Um, there were literal terms for going to Corinth, and you know how when people think of Las Vegas and their eyes get all big, and oh, Vegas, woo! And it's like, don't do that. But <laughs> but in the ancient these times, New Testament times, it was Corinth. Uh, to Corinthianize was a, was, a ver- was that a verb? Yeah. And we're going to go, cor- ooh, Corinthianize. What? Take me with you, bro. You know, sorry, no room in the chariot. You know, whatever. <laughs> you want to be a designated chariot driver? <sighs> Vegas. Why can't it be Huntington Beach? Oh, Huntington Beach, I'm going. Yeah, no, no, Vegas. Um, Paul is, is writing to the Romans. And, and in the backdrop of where he's at, there's Corinth. And it's bad. It's bad. Immorality at a high level. Idolatry. And he says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. He says, for the the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them. For God has shown it to them. Verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. The witness of creation. That's why so many missionaries go to a land that's never had the Bible. And they find out these people already know about God. Because God visits people through his creation. You look at the galaxies and the stars. And you look at creation. And and there's something within you. Because he's placed eternity in your heart. That says someone had to make all of this. And they they cry out. and, And God meets them in that place. So men are without excuse, Paul says in verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile, that is, uh, godless with pointless reasonings and silly speculations, in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22 of Romans 1 says, professing to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image, idolatry, made like corruptible man, the birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Their hearts were darkened because they chose to worship their own images or worship the creation rather than the Creator. Verse 24 says, Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. And Paul goes on, and this is relevant to our text today. It's one of the reasons I'm reading it. And he explains how what happens when 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 people are get, when, when people are given over to sin and idolatry for this reason God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature, likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. He's talking about sexual intimacy and the natural function, male, female in covenant for life, taken out of context and out of order and out of God's design. No matter how much society wants to say it's okay, or say we were born this way, or say that—listen—the Bible actually doesn't mention anything about this. Oh, it is so wrong. It is so untrue. And 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 and, and there are people every day who change their sexual views to the biblical model every day for those who would say it's not possible to change. I was created this way. No, you weren't. No more than a thief who says, I can't help but steal. I'm a thief. It's who I am. I was created this way. No, you were not, sir. No. No. And we'll get to that. The Levite... And the concubine. We're in Judges chapter 19 and it says that there's no king in Israel. And we've read earlier where it says there's no, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There's no king in Israel, and there actually was a king in Israel. They just chose not to worship him because God always wanted to be their king. He didn't want them to have to have a man sitting on a throne to, 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 to lead and guide them. God said, let me guide you, let me lead you. But well, they go, no, we want a king. Well, there's no king in Israel, and it sets, it sets the stage for a community that's out of sync with the Lord. And these, these last three chapters that I mentioned to you, they're bad, Man, they're bad. It's like, come on. I mean, like, can we talk about ways to win friends and influence people? Can we talk about five ways to be a better, I don't know what? Can we, can we talk about, you know, your best life is ahead of is still, your best is yet to come. And can we talk about how beautiful life is right now and, and how, <sighs> did I mention this is hard? And there's a reason for it. There's a reason it's so hard. Because it's true. It speaks to the real issue. The real issue. We'll get to that. How many of you guys are glad you came this morning? couple? All right, you guys, no one in the back? Okay, yeah, brother, see your hand. Yeah, brother, Joe, Jesse, Dave, right on. <laughs> Sound guys? Okay commentator F.B. Meyer recommended not reading this chapter. I've never heard that, ever. Just don't even read it. Hang on. What? Down goes the statue of F.B. Meyer. He said this. It will be sufficient to ponder these words. There was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own mind which occur four times in the book without reading further in this terrible chapter which shows the depths of the depravity to which one may think apart from the grace of God. Righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness, godly standards, godly duh, godly principles, biblical values, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach. And it says, and it came to pass in those days, there was no king in Israel, verse 1, Judges 19. There was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim, and he took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. All right, concubine. If you didn't know, a concubine was recognized as a legal mistress. A man could have a wife, and he could have multiple concubines. Um, If his wife was barren, unable to have children, he would have a concubine, and she would have children, and those children would be considered their children. And the kids were considered legitimate, although they wouldn't always necessarily share in the inheritance. Um they did not have the same marital privileges as a wife so they were kind of second class always you can imagine the tension in the house that might arise from that, there's no indication that a woman could be married and have multiple (laughs) concuboos I just thought of that, that was kind of fun what's up boo, no, no no, it was man-centric, in which it tends to be that way <laughs> in mean, these situations. So she was provided food and clothing and had some marital privileges. There are many Old, there are many Old Testament examples, right? Abraham, Jacob, Caleb, King David, King Solomon... Solomon believed in excess, in everything. Excess gold, excess architecture. The architect says, we can build it this big. Solomon says, I want it that big. And so he had, uh, Solomon had an issue with women. He had 300 wives. 300 like surely someone in the palace said brah really <laughs> can we just like brah old king listen man you ain't seen sister so-and-so for a year because he had 300 wives and 700 concubines Come on, man, really? And if you know the story of Solomon, the wisest man who lived on the earth, of course, with the exception of Jesus, Solomon would make Bill Gates look like a first grader. And he and he loved foreign women. He was a sexual addict. And those women, eventually, because of their worship of foreign gods, this man, who was blessed by God like no other, walked away from worshiping God to worship idols. And he is the most notorious backslider in all of the Old Testament because his wives... Drew him away from God. All of that to say that we never see any of these concubine relationships blessed. The LDS church, the Mormon church, is not able to give sufficient justification for why their leaders were polygamists who had multiple wives. Well, eventually, of course, they changed their tune because statehood relied on it. Someone had a vision, and they said, "Well, we need to change this." And I'm just saying that there's no there's no there's no way to say to to to, to uh, validate the lives of these men who are the founders of their religious system. That's all I'm saying. Because if you want to understand the true beliefs of a system, you got to look at the, the lives of those who began it. And they were polygamists. And there are Old Testament examples, and there's always chaos. And the reason there's chaos is because the Bible says that no man can serve two masters. So you can't be married twice. That's kind of a joke, never mind, all right? The New Testament makes it clear from the beginning that God's plan was one man, one woman, one flesh, cleaving, weaving together for life. Any deviation from God's design for the family is sinful. We're seeing it over and over again. Last week we talked about how, how there's, there's this attack, this frontal attack from Satan and his minions to to break down society um, and to redefine what it means to be human and redefine what family is. Because as the family goes, so goes society. You destroy the family, you will destroy a society. If you try to take God's model and make it something other than what God said it was, it will, and what it is, you will create a chaotic situation. Karl Marx knew that in order to bring in his socialist utopia, he had to break down the Judeo-Christian view of family. I'll give you a contemporary example. This is something that we've said before, that the Black Lives Matter website, under their What We Believe tab, which has now been deleted, they... In, not only does it include LGBTQ agenda, but they, in their website, say that they stand against the traditional nuclear family, which it claims is Western prescribed and therefore intrinsically. Racist or racially motivated and a construct of white culture. They claim, and now this is not on their website anymore, to dismantle the patriarchal practice of mothers being the primary caregivers of children. Why would the Black Lives Matter organization, why would they, why would they have such destructive ideas when the black community which I'm a part of. My dad was black. I have to keep, I feel like I have to keep saying that. <laughs> but when there, when there's so much destruction in the, in the, in the, in the black family in America, listen, I'm telling you the, the solution to the African-American struggle, I don't even like to use that term. What does that make me? My friends from Africa don't consider themselves African-American. They say I'm African, but I'm an American citizen. Anyway, we can go on and on and on. If you're a white person from South Africa and you move to America, are you an African-American? You're not. All right. Or you are. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't even know why I said that. Please don't be offended at me. I'm a black German-American. No, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm a citizen of heaven who happens to be a black German so I will take my sauerkraut with my greens, amen, and some, never mind, never mind. My point is, why would they be advocating for such destructive ideas? Oh, the founders of BLM describe themselves as trained Marxists. It is unimaginable to me that the NBA would have an emblem on their floor, Black Lives Matter, which, you know, of course Black Lives Matter. That's not what I'm even talking about. Of course it does. But... But this is a Marxist organization. They say they're trained Marxism, and the ideology of Marxism denounces the traditional family structures as defined by the Bible, as well as capitalism and, oh, by the way, Christianity, too. They believe the state, not families, should be raising children. That's what Karl Marx believed, and that's for sure what Nazi Germany did to, to, to create a group of young kids that grew up in society and, and cared nothing about anything of morality other than what the state told them. How do you change an entire generation of which my mother was German, my grandfather was a Nazi, I never had the time to have a conversation with him. How do you train an entire generation of kids? to hate starts by indoctrinating them in school. And you control schools, you control the narrative. You control the next generation. That's why it takes mom and dad and the Holy Ghost to raise children these days. No, it doesn't take a village to raise my kids. Have you seen the village people? No. I mean, I get it. We need each other. Ah. Cultural Marxism sows bitterness and hatred between people groups. The problems that they proclaim to be solving can never be solved. Because if they're ever solved, then we won't need them. They separate people into the haves and the have-nots, the oppressors, and the oppressed. And this is what makes capitalism, capitalism so offensive to the Marxists is because someone who comes from nowhere can go from rags to riches because they work hard, regardless of what their color is. The family, the definition of what it means to be human, made in the image of God. Dead center to redefine and change. Folks, those things are worth fighting for. They are. Back to Judges 19 and his concubine was unfaithful to him. She went away from her from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there for four months then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back it's four months and he's like hey hey girl it's me you ain't been returning my calls like I'm really I don't know I'm, about to, I'm miss, really missing you and I don't know. <laughs> it's like the best thing she ever did was leave that, yelp, that knucklehead, as we'll see. I don't know. I try to inject humor because it's so dark. Humor helps me to get through it up here. I'm, I'm, I'm very serious. Please don't ever take me as not being serious. I'm very serious. Okay. Um... He goes after her. And you know what? I think that's good. He reacts the way that an offended spouse should react. In love and in kindness. She broke the vow. The concubinal vow. (laughs) But he goes after her. Listen. Marriages that thrive for the long haul are not those that are most compatible. Rather, those that are, bi- that, that are able to biblically navigate difficult situations. You talk to someone who's been married 30, 40, 50 years, and you ask them what's the success to their marriage, they're going to tell you their scars. They're going to tell you the times they wanted to walk they're going to tell you how hard this season was or that season was. But there was something that, 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 that drew them together. There was something that they, they had determined and... The grace of God allowed them to walk through some difficult times. Oh, I remember a counseling session I had once with a man who neglected his wife and neglected his wife and neglected his wife, and finally she left. Oh, he calls me and it's 911. When you talk right now, And I'm like, okay, what's going on? So and so's left. Oh, you're kidding. What happened? I don't know. <laughs> oh, what do you think she'll meet with us? Well, I think she will. You got to help me, Pastor. Yo, time out, man. I'm not God. And I found out in my short years of counseling there's typically two people involved in this and you probably got some role to play. Exhibit A, you don't know why she's gone? (laughs) I bet you everybody else knows but you. Just a thought, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, and then we have a meeting, right? When I have lunch, because I figure you got to eat, right? And maybe that'll ease the tension. And she looked at me, looked at him with stone. Cold eyes like Alaska, frozen, solid, 40 feet thick ice and said, I just don't love him anymore. And I went, oh my God, this is going to end. I just know it. And somehow God gave me a word, just a, a word of scripture, and a word. And, I, and, and, they, and you know what? Praise God. They, they, they walked through it, and, and it's like the Lord just warmed her heart. And, 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 they, and they're married and loving each other, and they're good. They're good to go. And I'm like, woo wee. Me, I'm telling you, man, you talk cold, cold, stone cold. Like, I just don't love him anymore. I was like, I don't love him either. Shoot, my gosh. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Ah, sorry. (laughs) Adultery doesn't have to end divorce. Through the grace of God, forgiveness, some counseling, it's possible to overcome. Jesus never commanded divorce, even in the case of adultery. There's grace. There's grace, even for the one who committed the act. There's grace for the one. There's grace. There's grace in that. It's not easy. It's not easy, right? The, the Levite and his father-in-law really hit it off. It's like he didn't even know this man. And he invites him in, and they have this five-day party. He goes back to get his wife. The father-in-law's like, hey, come on in, man. What, what's what's that? And, and, they, and they party for five days. And, and listen, the nation's wreck. His Levitical, his Le, concubinal covenant with this woman is a, is is a mess. This Levite's out of touch with reality with what's happening and they're wasting their time having a party for five days. I mean, I don't know. I'd be like, look, man, I love to party with you right now, but I got to go, man. I got some things. And by the way, our nation's a mess. And it makes me think about sometimes how we as as believers, like like we're, we, we, we get so distracted by all these other things that we don't recognize how serious and how uh, how. How, how significant the problems are that are right in front of us, you, you know, and it, James says this, and I, I love this, and James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, lament and mourn and weep, Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your gloom, uh, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. There's a time to party. There's a time to rejoice in the the Lord and with one another. Yeah, amen. Of course God wants us to to do those things and and, and have a good time and, and all of that. Warren Wiersbe said this, he goes, nobody appreciates laughter and good humor more than I do, but I fear the church is losing its sense of awe and needs to learn how to weep. Greg Laurie once asked Chuck Smith if he ever thought he'd see a movement like the Jesus movement of the 60s. And he said, I'm not sure. We're not desperate enough. Oh, church, are we desperate for the move of God. Are we desperate over our own sin? That we'll do whatever it takes, God. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to have a desperation for our neighbors that we see every day that may not know you. During the time of Judges, it was, diffi- it was dangerous to travel, especially at night. Well, they finally leave this family, um, and he arrives at uh, Jabas or Jerusalem. It would be called Jerusalem later, and he didn't want to stay in the open. Sc- he didn't want to stay with the, with the Jebusites because they were like an evil people, and so he presses on to be with his own people, the Gibeonites. Okay. And in chapter 19, verse 15, it says, And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, and there was no one who would take him into his house to spend the night. Okay, time out. We don't get the context of that because because Eastern hospitality is everything. It's huge on the honor code. Uh, It's a sacred law in the East providing for protecting a guest at any cost uh, ranked at the top of, of a man's code of honor. Uh, God commands hospitality uh, among he- the people of God. You know we too are commanded to practice hospitality. Did you know that hospitality is one of the pastoral qualifications, according to First Timothy and Titus? You know that you you really shouldn 't be a pastor elder in your church if you're not hospitable what if someone was what if we were interviewing for a pastoral leadership and we go hey man when's the last time you had anybody over your house oh never you're dq baby go have some friends over but well, we just don't do that and there are other ways to show hospitality too you guys have been amazing during this pandemic and the resurgence and uh, of being hospitable to people and, 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 you know, Sister Nene was, I love that, Sister Nene. <laughs> Nene, oh, okay. Our Brazilian sister, hey, what's up, Nene? Yeah, girl. um See, uh, she was just last Friday night was saying, oh, thank you guys so much for just, for being there. You know, guys have been amazing the needs in the last two months i've never seen it like this no one person can do it all it's not the way it's supposed to be but you guys have been there random acts of kindness calling people texting people i'm like oh man how's so-and-so doing i get a picture of jesse singing with with johnny at the hospital (laughs) jesse he said, "Here, man, sing a song." And Johnny, said, you know, a couple days ago, Johnny wasn't able to speak. He was praising the Lord. You know, hospitality. You know, Hebrews thirteen says, "Let brotherly love continue." Don't forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. What does that mean, Pastor? We well, ain't got time for that. You figure it out. Be hospitable. I'd love it if we had a revival of hospitality in our midst that that, that transcends Sunday and even our small groups, our life groups. We we changed the name from light groups to life groups because that's where life happens. Yeah. Hospitality. Anyway, there's no hospitality there. That's an indicator of something in this culture. That's huge. And then he encounters a fellow Ephraimite. This is one of his homies. This is my dog, my people. Here we go. And what does he do? The old man says, Peace be with you. However, let all of your needs be my responsibility, only don't spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into his house and gave fodder to his dog and, and washed their feet and ate and drank. Ah, it's beautiful. Verse 22 And as they were enjoying themselves. Uh, did I tell you guys how how dark these last couple chapters are? Man, they're brutal. As they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke it to a manner, to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house that we may know him carnally. That's the new King James definition. That is to know him sexually. Gibeah had become like Sodom and Gomorrah, so wicked that God wiped them off the face of the earth after he rescued his people because God always rescues his people. He always saves his people. That was not a veiled reference to Afghanistan. If that's what you're thinking, it's not. That's another issue. says in verse 23 it gets worse it says but the man the master of the house went out to them and said to them no my brethren i beg you do not act so wickedly seeing this man has come into my house do not commit this outrage good but then he offers his daughter and the man's concubine instead it's unthinkable it's unthinkable how could a father do that? How bad has it gotten in this in in, in, in in this land to where a father offers his daughter to a a mob to be gang raped? How bad is that? How low is the view of women or children? How how far off from the from the model that God said for male and female together and, and family. What's the what's the what does it mean to even be a human being when when you treat someone like that? When they have no intrinsic value whatsoever. And he says, Do with them as you please. And the Levite takes his concubine that he went to go get. And he takes her out to them. And they abuse her all night. It's stunning and it's shocking. When describing the full meaning of the original Hebrew, they knew and abused her. Adam Clark, due to modesty, did not translate the meaning into English. He left it in Latin so that only the learned could understand the full implications of the wickedness of perversion of the men of Gibeah. It gets worse. It says in verse 27, when her master arose in the morning and opened the door, the doors of the house and went out to go his way, there was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. So the man lifted her onto the donkey and the man got up and went to his place. It's hard to imagine. I mean, really. I'm not over It's hard to imagine how cold and how callous and how cowardly these men are. So insensitive to one who's made in the image of God. Because when you begin to take away the image, the intrinsic value of a human being starts in the womb. And you all of a sudden call that human a fetus or you call those children not valuable, or whatever it is, when you begin to take away the intrinsic value of another human being made in the image of God, there is no limit to the debauchery, the sinfulness, and what man will do. And oh, by the way, Las Vegas ranks in the top five Worldwide destinations for human trafficking. Another wretched thing that Vegas is known for. And it makes me sick. Thank you, brother. The men of Gibeah act more like the men of Sodom and Gomorrah than the men of Israel. This Levite doesn't care about this woman. One has to question why he went to go go get her. And it gets worse. He throws his concubine out, whom you would assume he has some sort of affection for, She's used and abused all night long and they close the door and they go to sleep or party or who knows what they were doing. It's unthinkable. When sexual gratification, apart from God's design, becomes a God in society, the most vulnerable are used and abused. It's the way it goes. And the most vulnerable are women and children. At issue, the failure to establish a government based on God's morality and God's principles. If not, moral law is unenforced and crime is ignored. Sexual violence, perversion are always the result of a nation that ignores God. Always because it redefines what it means to be human, what it means to have value. It gets worse. I know, right? Did I mention to you how I'll be so glad when we move on to Ruth? It gets worse. He desecrates her body by cutting it up into 12 different pieces and sending it to the other tribes to come and fight against the Gibeonites because of what they did. Strange, because it's really what he did. Well how did this thing happen? Are you ready for some worse news? Don't leave. Don't leave. This is truth. But we're gonna shift. And I got good news at the end. Don't leave. <laughs> Jeremiah seventeen nine says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it okay here is the issue folks and this is repetition we've talked about this before that the issue is the heart of man is bent on evil oh some worse than others of course like we look at the taliban and we go oh man they're evil wicked people that comes from the heart But we don't look at our own gossip or slander, our own sexual immorality. We don't look at it as that's not that bad. And you know what? All of us, every one of us, the issue that we have is our heart. The term is total depravity. And we tend to rate ourselves much better than we really are. Well, I'm not that bad. Like, I'm not as bad as that sister or that brother. They're bad. And the reality is we're all bad. We're all totally depraved. The Bible teaches us that a man is born in sin and transgression. It's part of our DNA that we inherit from Adam. We're bent on going our own ways. That's why you don't have to teach our precious children to rebel. You don't have to teach them that. It comes prepackaged. We call it the terrible twos. Who knows? Maybe it's the terrific twos. When all of a sudden you go, come here, little one. They go, no, and run the other way. Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It's bent in their heart. It's okay. You're the same, and you did the same thing. Well, I didn't because my mom and dad had been like, "What?" You know, open up the can. And, well, but okay, next time. Okay, I won't do that again. anyway. Ah, Ephesians chapter two says this. It's, it summarizes our spiritual. Folks, this is the issue. We can try to paste it on something else, blame something. This is the issue of man. This is the central issue. When you read about things in the newspaper, when you read about what's happening overseas, there is one issue. It is the heart of man is desperately wicked and bent on going its own way. And it's the truth. Don't take it personal. It's true for all of us. Ephesians chapter 2 says, We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There it is. That's it. The Bible teaches that because we are unregenerate, that is, if we've not come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we're held captive by a love for sin. And we don't seek God because we love the darkness. We don't even understand the things of God. Therefore, we suppress the truth. I know what that's like. I've done that. I remember I knew in my heart the truth, but I what? Suppressed it. Why? So I could do what I wanted to do. That's why when I was 20 years old and Coach Tarkanian said, this guy over here wants to talk to you guys. And he tells us the gospel of Jesus Christ. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, no way. This guy's talking about Jesus. You got to be kidding me. Oh, my gosh. And you all never forget that guy. I don't know his name but I knew someone who knew him, and anyway, I was thinking, it'd be fun to connect with him. I've told you the story in the locker room afterwards. It's eerily quiet, and none of us are. We're all pagan heathen, all, every one of us, and we use Jesus' name every day, but it's not in a good way, and there's an eerie silence in the locker room, and finally one says to me, hey, Rich, what you think of that guy? I go, what guy? That guy in there, I go, I don't think anything. I don't think bad. I don't think good. Why? Because I'm suppressing the truth so I can live my life with my wife. Thank you very much. One of our other players said, oh, I think it's great. I think we should have Bible studies and everything. You know what your pastor did? I said, shut up, man. I threw a towel at him. <laughs> I wouldn't hear that. Now, see, I get it. I get depravity. It would help us to remember where we came from when we're trying to tell other people the good news of where we are now. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. (sighs) Because we're totally depraved, the sinful lifestyle seems right, and we reject the gospel of Christ as foolishness. What I'm saying today does not fit in our society today. Man is basically good. Man can figure out things will get better one day. No, they're not. Things are not getting better. They're progressively worse. Man's issue is not man. What? That's foolishness. Of course it's man. It's not surprising that this way of thinking is not accepted today. It runs contrary to some religious, philosophical, psychological views of the basic nature of man. Again, we got to go back to God for, for our nature to define that for us. The root cause of man's problem is not the environment they were raised in, it's not their socioeconomic background, but it is the wicked, selfish heart that we all have. And hopefully, that would destroy that baseline, that understanding would destroy any attempt that we could make to be religious enough or be good enough and be accepted in God's sight. When we understand who we really are, we should run to the grace of Jesus, our Savior, the perfect one, who lived and died and rose from the dead so that we might have life. We're hopelessly lost without that. It should lead us to the grace of God. Joseph, can we do that song again? That, that, you know, even if it's just you. Can you know the one that we did last? Last, uh, I know Joseph's like, what? <laughs> Joseph's like looking around and seeing some other dude named Joseph. I want, because I want us to end Not on the total depravity of man. I don't want us to end there. I want us to accept it and acknowledge it and embrace it. But I don't want to end there. Um, Ephesians 2.4 says this. But God. And I love the but gods in scripture. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians, um, hold on, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, yeah. Do you not know, and this is the Amplified Bible, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate by perversion, nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, Those uh, whose words are used as weapons to abuse, insult, humiliate, intimidate, or slander. Nor swindlers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. Are you ready for some good news? Verse 11 says, And such were some of you before you believed, but you were washed by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. You were sanctified, set apart for God and made holy. You were justified, declared free of guilt in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of our God, the source of the believer's new life and changed behavior. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's who I was. I talked to a man recently. He said, man, I did 15 years in prison. And I'm trying to separate myself from that man. I'm trying not to be that man. I'm not that man anymore. He said, I'm an I'm a ex-convict. I go, no, you're not. You're a former convict. You've been set free by Jesus Christ. And that doesn't just apply to someone who did 15 years of hard time. That applies to me. That applies to you. That those things that have... That have bound us, those things that have identified us, those things that we ran into headlong. There's forgiveness and there's mercy and there's grace to move on and to not be labeled by those things anymore in the name of Jesus Christ. And we run to those things. Two things I want to remind you three things, okay, four things. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to do a song, right? Cool. Listen, God's story isn't finished yet, guys. And, and 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 I mean it is, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, of course, we know we know we know God's story. We know how it ends, but it's it's it, His story isn't done yet. And you know what else? Your story's not done yet either. Come on, your story's not done. God's still moving. God's still working. God's still creating. God's still doing stuff. He's refining, he's shaping, he's renewing. I want to say this in closing. As a kid, I grew up in a house that watched my mother be physically abused blood on the floor everything excruciatingly maybe that's why I'm so passionate about this stuff and I want to first apologize on behalf of maybe that's not even the right way to say it if you have been abused ladies You've been abused by a man. Kicked out of the house, left to die at the threshold of the door. I want to remind you that your Lord and Savior, Jesus, opens that door and invites you into his kingdom where you can experience healing and grace. Because your story's not done yet. I hope and pray that men that we would protect, defend, watch over, fight for our wives, for our kids, for our daughters. I hope that we would lead the way in grace and love in our home. Especially towards our daughters, our sons, too, and our wives. Lead the way in love, husbands. Love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you are single, you wait until God brings that man who will love you like Christ loves the church. Do not settle for less. I want to sing a song so that we can focus on the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. Joseph?